0: Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you? We are in Genesis chapter 11 tonight. Going to look at nine verses in Genesis chapter 11. So open your Bibles and be sure to read along with us tonight. Father, now we turn to your word, and just as we sang, Lord, we are so desperate. Without you, we are utterly desperate. And Lord, how we need to be constantly dependent upon you. Lord, when we try to take things into our own hands, when we become independent, we get in lots of trouble. We get lost. Remind us tonight of our need to be dependent upon you every single day. You are good and you are awesome and you have great things in plan, planned for our lives as we depend upon you and trust you, and obey you. Would you bless this time, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The word Genesis means beginning. And so the book of Genesis is really the book of beginnings. And it's here we get the answers to a lot of questions that we might have about origins. Where did we come from? Where did the universe come from? Where did death come from? Where did sickness come from? Where did sin come from? And all of those questions are answered in the first three chapters of Genesis, the explanation of origins well, perhaps you may have wondered at one point in your life, where did all the different ethnic groups come from? Where did all the cultures come from? The quote-unquote races, all the different languages. What's the origin for that? Well, the answers to that question are found in Genesis chapter 11. This is a very important mountain peak in Scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Babel, that wonderful story of the Tower of Babel. Now, before we dive in to the text, a couple of things. It is believed that the events in Genesis chapter 11 began about five generations after Noah, So, about a hundred years after Noah, um, there's a significant population of people now on the earth after the flood, but they're all together, think of them as one tribe of the human race, all together on the face of the earth. And then I also want to remind you of the very clear command that God had given to Noah and to the people that would come from Noah. His command was... Very clear. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, he says, And as for you, be fruitful and multiply Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So, what did God tell Noah and the family that would come from Noah to do? Spread out, scatter, disperse, fill the earth, and multiply. All right, let's see what they did. Verse one, chapter eleven, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the lion land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now look at verse one. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Again, one tribe, so to speak of the human race, all together, and they're all speaking one language, the same words. And the language here is universal. The picture is universal. It's including all of humanity together in original linguistic solidarity, all speaking one language. Now, what language do you think that was? Well, English, of course, right? Spanish? Spanish? Greek. If I had to venture a guess, I would say it would be very close to Hebrew, but we absolutely have no idea. All we know is that they spoke the exact same language. Now, I want you to think a moment tonight about how complex language is. Where did language come from? Who invented it? Did man sort of learn it? over time, think about how complex it is. Now, we take it for granted, but basically you have a community of people coming into an agreement somehow on meanings associated to certain sounds that come out of our mouths. It's very, very complicated. Language, I believe, is... One clear distinction between the human race and the animal kingdom. We talk. Animals sniff. Bark. Growl. But for human beings, we have a communication. We have a language. Now, the evolutionists would say that the language evolved. It's a special part of evolution. But just think how complex that is. Think about how that could possibly be. So now we have evolution taking millions of years for beings to become more and more complex and then to develop mouths and tongues and then to all of a sudden start learning how to speak different languages. You know, a lot of people call the Tower of Babel story a fairy tale. I think that's a fairy tale. I believe that God created language. God created us with language, with the ability to speak. I believe Adam was created with language. He communicated in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? With God, with Eve. She communicated with him. God commanded Adam to name the animals. Language is a special gift, an invention of God that he blessed the human race with. And at this time, they're all speaking that same language. Now, notice verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Shinar is located what is now modern-day Iraq, very close to the Persian Gulf there, the city of Babel, and eventually it would become a great kingdom known as Babylon, big city right there. And this tribe of people moved from the mountain of Ararat, and they settled here in Shinar. And I want you to notice what it says at the end of verse 2. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. That's permanent. That's, they settled there. Now what did God told them to do? Spread out. Scatter. No. They settled. They dropped their anchor there. Continue reading. It says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad Over the face of the whole earth. So you see what God said. I want you to scatter over the face of the whole earth. And and they said no. We're going to camp in Shinar. And we're going to stay right here. Because we don't want to scatter. Over the face of the earth. So this is defiance. This is direct disobedience. You can see them setting up shop to stay there permanently. What it says, again in verse 3, Come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. So they get to Shinar, and they decide they're going to build a city, and they're going to build this large tower. And it says it would reach up to the heavens. Now, a lot of people think they're trying to build a tower all the way to heaven. It's not. They're going to build a big tower. A tall tower up to the heavens. Way up in the air. There. Dwelling there. That's where they're going to be. Now, this tower that they built, or tried to build, I should say. Most Bible scholars believe that this is the type of tower that they were going to try to build, a tower called a ziggurat, a stair-stepped, pyramid-shaped edifice. That tower would have been about 300 feet tall. The pyramids are 480 feet tall. And to give you a little bit of context, the World Trade Center, all the way to the tip, when it was around, was about 1,800 feet tall. So these people are trying to build this big, high tower. That's another sort of ancient depiction of it. And so they sat to work, and they got all those bricks made, they got the mortar, and they built a big city of Babylon, and they started building this tower. And it was impressive. Mankind can do some very impressive things. And, and, and you know, ancient man has done some things that blow our minds. There are some things that have been done by man that we even wonder. How many of you know what that is? Stonehenge? Great mystery great mystery or how about this the pyramids how did they do that some people even think the pyramids were built by aliens anybody have you heard that see the bottom left a couple of the pyramids taking off like spaceships just this marvelous ability of man when they put their mind together and there's enough of them and they get on the same page look what they can do So, they're trying to build that. Now, why are they trying to build that tower? What is the purpose? Why do they settle in Shinar? Why do they build the city and then build this huge tower? What is the whole goal? Well, it's interesting. um, The word for mortar with all these bricks is the same word that's used in the scripture when it talks about Noah building the ark with pitch. So a lot of people see that this tower was supposed to be a waterproof tower. And what they're doing is preparing for the next flood. Right, no way. I'm not going to be caught off guard there. And they didn't have to worry about that. Because God had already made a promise that he'd never destroy the world again. Right? With a flood. But here's man... Possibly saying, we're going to protect ourselves. It's also thought that this may have been their very first act of idolatry. Moving away from God. The ziggurats, this kind of structure, was made famous by the Babylonians later. And they would build these large towers, and at the top of their towers... They'd have an altar, and that's where they would worship the sky and the stars. In fact, astrology, the cult of astrology, has been linked way, way back to Babylonian culture. Something that they would practice at the top of these tall towers. And possibly that's what's going on here. By the way, if you're a Christian, you should have nothing to do with horoscopes. Or astrology? Every now and then I see Christians post something on Facebook about their horoscope. And that horrifies me. (laughs) Why would you worship the stars when you can worship the star maker? Why would you find direction from the stars when you can find direction from the star Maker? And all of that junk is a ploy of the enemy, and it can be traced all the way back. And perhaps this first human tribe was going to get up there and start worshiping the stars when they were done. This was also, I believe, an effort on the part of man to, um, you know, sort of forget about God, become like God, make their own stairway to heaven. Babel originally meant the gate of God. So there could have been some idolatrous happenings or motivation behind this. But I think verse 4 tells us the primary motivation. Look at it again, what it says. Verse 4, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for whom? Let us make a name for ourselves. This is pride. This is arrogance. This is self-dependence. This is man becoming independent of God. This is the basic spirit of the humanistic worldview. The idea that the human race were it. Look how great man is. Look how great the human race can be. The human race can take care of itself. We're smart enough. We're like God. We don't need God. And this is the spirit of that tribe. This is obstinate disobedience. This is a shaking a fist at God. And I think there was something else going on here. And uh, a lot of people don't see this connection, but it stands out to me. I believe that there was a main player involved in the building of this tower. I believe there was a famous, very uh, popular man on the earth that was sort of organizing all this. And I say that because of what we read in, in chapter 10. Would you look back at Genesis chapter 10 for just a moment? This is the table of nations. This is eventually how they will spread out. What it says in verse 8. Cush begot Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said. Like Nimrod. The mighty hunter. Before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel. Erech, Akkad, Kalne, in the land of Shinar. Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. He started the kingdom in Babel. Nimrod is a name that means, get this, rebellion. That's what the name means. Nimrod actually means we will rebel. And I believe that this guy was leading that building project. This guy is destined to become the first tyrant of the earth, the first global dictator. He's going to take over. So Nimrod organizes this in Babel. All right. What's God's response? Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now I find that to be a funny verse. I see some sarcasm there. Hear this tower in the eyes of man. Wow, look how big. In the eyes of God, it's so small that he has to come down to get a better look. It's so microscopic in the eyes of the all-knowing, all-seeing God, that God has to come down. I picture God, what is that little thing? You know, mankind is so easily impressed by the things that we do. We think, oh, wow. Look how great we are. Look at our technology. Look at our mansions. Look at our careers. Look at the buildings. Look at our cities. And in the eyes of God, nothing. Nothing. That tower was nothing. In man's perspective, wow, look at the tower. That's us. Look at our strength. God's perspective, it's nothing. In fact, Isaiah 40 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed One, saying, Let us break their bonds of peace and cast away their cord from us. And what does God say? He who sits in the heavens shall crack up, laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, understand. Please please understand. Know your place, bro. Know your place, sis. You might think that there's these great things that you've done. These great empires that you might build. Know your place. In the eyes of God, these things are nothing. So, verse 6. And the Lord said... Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us... Now that's another reference to the Trinity, right? Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand One another's speech. Now this is an amazing portion of scripture. Here God is saying. That mankind is capable of great things. Man created us. God created us. In his image. And man. Man. When they're together. When they're on the same page. And when they put their minds to it. They can achieve some great. Great things. I mean look what mankind has done. We've made a lot of great things, a lot of inventions. Especially, I'm, I'm floored at some of the things that we can do today. Mankind can do some great things. And they were about to get together and do this great thing, build this tower. And God says, nothing's going to be impossible to him. And so he steps in. He stops the building project. Now, why did he do that? Was he threatened? Was God threatened? Oh, I need to take care of this human race. They're getting too smart. Nothing's going to be impossible for them. I need to stop this. No, listen. God was not afraid of what man might do to him. God was fearful of what man might do to man. See, here we have a point in history where you have a unified human race in rebellion against God. Pride and arrogance. Should they be allowed to permit this, they would only be emboldened in their rebellion. Would they be able to finish this project, they would embolden that part of their life that would say, I don't need God. Look, man's great. And so God intervened. And I see this as an act of God's grace. This is God putting a restraint on the human race. Not allowing them to get to a point where they go beyond their awareness of their need for God. And then increasing in wickedness and evil and sin. Because there's no more God their life. He put a restraint in their life. This was God showing the human race who's boss. And so he confused their language. Now, I also believe that this was God stepping in to prevent the human race from falling under the sway of a single absolute tyrant over all the earth. This is God moving in to stop Nimrod. Here you got one tribe of people. They all speak the same language. They're going to do great things. And Nimrod. So I think God was moving in to stop all of that. This was to help man, not to hurt man. Look at verse 8. So the Lord scattered them. Abroad, from there, over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Babel, babel, babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad, over the face of all the earth. So overnight, God went in there, mixed up the languages. Now they can't understand each other. Now they're scattering as God had originally intended them to do, right? So they had to abandon the project. And off they go. And by the way, there's a complete reversal here, isn't there? They wanted to settle. God scattered. Mankind wanted a name for themselves. Now they can't even pronounce each other's names. They wanted this great tower, this great name, Babel, the God, the gate of the God. And now Babel got a new meaning, confusion. And their mankind went. I have noticed in the Bible that when people are filled with pride and God judges them, he often turns the tables on them. You do not want to be filled with pride. You want to stay humble before the Lord all the time and dependent upon him. Okay. This is where all the different ethnic groups came from. This is where all the different languages Started. This is where all the different cultures went forth on the earth. Now, how did it happen? Well, they were giving new languages. And so families who could understand each other would go forth. They'd spread out. And they become genetically isolated, right? They're in their own part of the world. And they marry and have children for many, many years in a climate environment, and it's there that they began to develop the characteristics of what we would call ethnicity. And it's there that they retain that language, and they begin to have their own cultures. Now, the evolutionists would say that all of the different races come from different spawns, right, of apes. Different trails, which, by the way, has proven to be incredibly dangerous over the years. You know, evolution has been one of the greatest causes of racism. Because people will use evolution to talk about their race and say, we're a much higher evolved race than this other race. Hitler sort of did that, didn't he? The Aryan race more evolved. And there's been great acts of racism. The reason they're racism is because they're sin. But evolution has been very, very dangerous over the years. So we have all these different ethnic groups. Now listen to this. According to genetic scientists... The difference between any two people is only about one-tenth of one percent genetically. It is absolutely trivial. The only difference, pigmentation. Scientists involved with mapping the human genome have declared there is only one race, the human race, Some have even said that the term race is meaningless. So different ethnic groups, but all human. And they all got their start there at Babel. Now, you might say, um, and you'd be right if you said that there were a lot of different languages on the planet... Today, we know that there are just a little under 7,000 known languages on planet Earth. Okay, so you're thinking, all right, there was Noah in the flood. hundred years later, you got this small group, and they're trying to build a tower. They have one language. God comes down and gives them 7,000 languages. Really? No? There are almost 7,000 known languages today, but expert linguistics who study such a thing have narrowed those 7,000 languages to about 94 language families. You know, there's a lot of languages that are a part of the same family. For instance, Latin, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese. So people who study these things have identified, oh, about 94 language families. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, it's the table of nations. It's how everybody spreads out after the event that we just read here in Genesis chapter 11. And and they argue over how many families are in Genesis chapter 10, but they say it's right around 78 families. Getting really close to the 94 family mark, isn't it? And I'm betting that as the research continues, those two will become equal. So 94 language families, and then over the last 4,000 years, that's adapted. To now we have 7,000 different languages that obviously have roots in Language families. So, this is very plausible. And by the way, this is God's word. This is the explanation for how all of these different cultures, languages, were spread out. And God has, in fact... Gotten his way accomplished. Mankind has spread out and populated the earth, haven't we? Okay. There are some important pictures that I think come out of the story of the Tower of Babel. And number one, um, for those of you who have been with us, you know that we study a lot of prophecy. Prophecy here, and we talk about the last days quite a bit, and and the scripture is very, very clear that in the last days, the human race is coming together, right? The last days tell us that in the days leading up to the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a one-world government, there's going to be a one-world religion, and there's going to be a one-world economy. The human race is going to be connected like never before. And with the advent of technology and all that we have available, that's happening, isn't it? This one world government. This one world human community building a technological Tower of Babel. I believe we do all speak the same language today, zeros and ones, digital, internet, computers, connectivity, Google Translator. You're typing in English on this side of the planet, and the person that's reading it on the other side of the planet is reading it in his or her language, and vice versa. I love Google Translator. That's how I'm getting my kids through Spanish class. Look what's happening in our world. And gang, look Look at the push. Look at the push. Let's all get together. Let's all get together. Back to the Tower of Babel. Building our little tower. And what's more, the scripture teaches. In Revelation chapter 13, in the last days, a beast... He's going to arise on the scene. A Nimrod. A mighty hunter. The Antichrist will be the one world dictator. The one world brutal tyrant. Satan's man, deceiving the entire world. See, I believe Satan is behind all of this because he wants to rule. We're headed in that direction. Now, how is that going to end? Well, God's going to come down again and look at the kingdom of man. Christ will come again. He'll wipe out the Antichrist. He will step in. He will not let the kingdom of man get that powerful. He'll step in, and he'll set up his own kingdom, and we will go into the millennial reign. And by the way... When he sets up his kingdom, there's an interesting prophecy in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. That they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. I believe speech becomes unified again. Under the kingdom of Christ. Way back, the very part of early human history, we can see this plan of the enemy and how God will thwart it and how it continues and how it will get even worse in our day and age. And yet God is going to thwart it. And finally, he's going to reign and rule. I believe there's another picture from this story. I believe that this story of the Tower of Babel is a picture of the human heart. I really do. I believe it's very possible for all of us to have Babel in our heart. It's very, very possible for even us as Christians to have this this desire to make your own name great. Just like they said in verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. I think we're all born with that kind of a heart. When Bible commentator says, let us make a name for ourselves, isn't that the mantra of our age? It's why we wear what we wear, why we drive what we drive, why pastors might long for the bigger and better church it is why the pharisees like some of us love to do their religious deeds to be noticed by men self promotion is simply the air we breathe in the western world we all have babel in our hearts and you can see that throughout history can't you think of all the kings all the rulers that have lived think of the the guy in charge of north korea that guy thinks he's a god, right? All these leaders, they all man, my name is great. Napoleon. Read their, read about him. Stalin. Nero. Hitler. There was a king in the In the book of Daniel, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the story in Daniel chapter 4 where he's out surveying his kingdom? And that king said these words... At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Look, my name is great. I've done all this. I've accomplished this. And what happened to King Nebi? Well... He devolved. <laughs> he became a monkey. No, he, he, God gave him a beast. God turned him into almost like a beast for seven years. There he is walking around outside eating grass. And his fingernails get as long as birds' nails. There's a guy who said, look how great I am. And God said, I'm going to make you real low. So you'll know your place. In one of my commentaries that I read, there's a story of this guy, and uh, there's an article that I found, and this guy's name is Gordon Hall, and let me just read this article that came out in the Arizona Republic several years ago, like 20 years ago, speaking of Gordon Hall. The columnist writes, it is dusk. Gordon Hall stands at an overlook on his 55,000-square-foot mansion in Paradise Valley, a structure built by Pittsburgh industrialist Walker McCoon and now owned and being renovated by Hall. He's 32 years old and a millionaire many times over. He stares at the range of lights stretching before him from horizon to horizon and breathes a deep, relaxed sigh. The lights of the city are like the campfires of a great army to Hall, who sees himself as its benevolent general. They are like the flashlights of the world's fortune seekers, and Hall is their beacon to riches. They are, for Hall, like the stars of the firmament, and he is above them. He is worth more than $100 million. He says because it was his goal to be worth more than 100 million before the age of 33. There are other goals. By the time he's 38, he wants to be a billionaire. By the time his earthly body expires, he is convinced he can live to be 120 years old. But once his body expires, he will assume what he believes to be his just heavenly reward Gordon Hall will be a God. Here's what he says his quotes. We have, already, we have always existed as intelligences, as spirits, he says. We are down here to gain a body. As man is now, God once was. And as God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God, and I believe it. That is why I believe I can do anything. My genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes. I believe I can do anything my name is great I'm a god now I read this article in the commentary which I said was run like 20 years ago so I did a google search on Gordon Hall to find out if he became a god yet no he's actually a prisoner now he's penniless three months ago Three months ago this year, August, he was locked up for the next 10 to 12 years. Ponzi scheme, whatever. Poor God. Now that is an extreme case, I realize. But every one of us, every single one of us, can have that in our heart. Babbles in our heart. And you can apply it to anything. Maybe it's something to do with church, something good. Oh, wow, look how good I am at church. Look how good I am at this. Let me make a name for myself in this career. We are nothing before God. Our kingdoms are nothing. We should never live to make a name for ourselves. Rather, we should live to give glory to God. To point people to Him. To recognize our absolute dependence upon God. What a a picture. I think this is also a wonderful picture of religion. The whole story of the Tower of Babel. Here's man getting together and they're going to build a tower that gets them to heaven. Right? We're going to get to heaven. We're going to work. We're going to get there. Did they get there? No, because you can't work to get to heaven. We always love that picture. Good works religion, trying to cross the chasm by your own good works, you'll never make it. You can't build a tower. You can't build a stairway to heaven. You cannot save yourself by good works. You must be utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. Who did the work. The whole message of the Bible. We've got another great example. The failure of man. We fail. We sin. We fall short. And yet we get up and we try to do it. Scripture says that we are fallen. We have sin. We could never be good enough to get to heaven. God knows our lost condition, and therefore He would send His Son, Jesus, who would come and bridge the gap. Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world, rises again. And when you give your life to Him, then all of your sins are forgiven, and then you're saved, and then you become a citizen of heaven. Not because anything you've done, not because you're building, because you're trusting. And the God who built the way for you to get to heaven. I also believe that the story of Babylon, the Tower of Babel, um, shows that man, when they get together, they might try to do some really neat technological things. But ultimately, when man tries to do something great, They end up bringing division. People separate. And all the the humanly things, all all the humanistic and and the the whole thing, imagine world peace and let's all just get together and hold hands around the tree and sing. Might all be well and good and well-meaning, but listen, if God is not included... It won't succeed. Christ is the one who unites. You have to get saved. You have to become a child of God. And then his spirit comes and lives in you. And then you can get along with other people. Christ unites. Do you guys remember what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the church was born remember the day of Pentecost you remember the Holy Spirit came down in fire and tongues of fire came upon the early church and then Peter began to preach and remember they're speaking in tongues right languages let me read just read to you, the account. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the Holy Spirit coming upon those first early apostles and the church being born. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak? Galileans, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own language. Tongues, the wonderful works of God, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "Whatever could this mean? It's almost like a complete reversal of Babel. at the birth of the church, when Christ comes. Christ brings people together. Christ. Brings unity. My brother and sister in Christ, this is an important passage just for historical. Where, where did, how did all the cultures and, and all of this happen? This is the Bible's explanation for it. But there's also great lessons. Christian, you must stay dependent upon God, be humble. In every area of your life. Hold on to him. And seek to bring glory to him. Not yourself. Now you might be here this evening and you're not a Christian. And and you're, you're of the mindset that, yeah, the human race, we're impressive. Look, we can do some great things. I'm way cool. And maybe you have that sort of humanistic tendency. Captain Kirk, boldly go where no one has gone before. And maybe you've sort of thought, yep, I've got it all together. But if you really looked at your life, you'd have to admit you don't have it all together. There's a whole lot about your life that's way out of control. You need God. You need to humble yourself before God. Give him the reins of your life. Follow him. Let him save you. Let him fill you with his spirit. That you might know his love and that you might be changed and that you might become fruitful. And then your relationships with other people can be healed. And blossom. What great lessons. Father, we take these lessons to heart. Lord, things are so much better. When we're holding on to you, depending upon you. Lord, I want to thank you for all that you've done for us. How you reached out to us. How you've made it possible for us to be saved. How you've made it possible for us to be forgiven of all the sin and garbage. That you do, in fact, give us the hope of heaven. And you will make us born again. And you will fill us by your spirit. And we can, we can walk with you all the days of this life, depending upon you. Trusting you. Seeking to make you known. Lord, may that be so in the life of every single Christian here tonight. That we would be all about bringing glory to you. Lord, that you would take our lives, our talents, our skills our careers our resources that you would be lord over all of that that we would use all of that for your glory we want you to build towers lord do all the tower building We want to see you do great things. And then, Father, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who has never bowed the knee, humbled the heart before you. If you're here tonight and you have never humbled yourself before God and asked him to save you, I invite you to do so right now. Right now. And don't wait. Get saved. You need God. You know it. Cry out to the Lord right now. The one who died for you and rose again. You cry out to him. Say, Lord, save me. I admit I desperately need you. I am lost without you. On my own, Lord, I fail. Please wash away all my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Rising again. Give me life. Give me your spirit. Fill my life with your beauty and your sweetness. Your joy. And help me to live for you. And point others to you. In Jesus name. Amen.